The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Volume 4, The Medieval World, Episode 61, Kamakura, Japan. We pick up the story of medieval Japan at the conclusion of the Battle of Danoura in the year 1185. The Taira clan had become the most influential clan in Japan, leading into the Genpei War, which started in 1180. During this war, members of the rival Minamoto clan challenged Taira dominance of the nation and the imperial court. Over the course of the war, and having suffered some early defeats in battle, the Minamoto clan were able to push the Taira clan out of the capital city of Kyoto, and push them westwards, where the two clans would ultimately do battle at sea during the fateful Battle of Danoura. The Minamoto scored a crushing defeat over the Taira, causing many important Taira samurai warriors to commit suicide, viewed upon as an honourable way to die. The hero of the battle was a Minamoto no Yoshitsune, the younger brother of the Minamoto clan leader, Minamoto no Yoritomo. While Yoshitane was taking care of the military side of things, Yoritomo would be establishing political control of the country. He would initially appeal to the Insei Goshirakawa. Goshirakawa was a former emperor, and some former emperors during this particular period would make the political decisions ordinarily expected from the real emperor. The real emperor during this period were ineffectual children who were simply dominated by stronger characters. Yoritomo would obtain Goshirakawa's blessing in taking control of the country, and Yoritomo would take control of provinces that were still rebelling against Minamoto authority. Yoritomo's younger brother, Yoshitsune, was being granted honours from the Insei Goshirakawa, and Yoritomo would feel uncomfortable with this, fearing that Yoshitsune was becoming too popular. So Yoritomo would stand in the way of some of the opportunities being presented to his younger brother, and so the two would now be at odds with one another. When Yoshitsune realised that Yoritomo wanted him out of the picture, he fled into the country and went into hiding. Eventually, in 1189, he would be betrayed by a man who gave away Yoshitsune's whereabouts, so Yoshitsune felt that he had no option but to commit suicide before he was captured. Since the Minamoto had been somewhat exiled by the Taira before the Genpei War, the Minamoto mainly had influence over areas in the east of the country. 
Therefore, Yoritomo considered that the Minamoto rule over Japan would have much more stability if the capital city was moved again to the east. A Minamoto stronghold in eastern Japan was at Kamakura, not too far from Tokyo Bay. So Yoritomo established his bakfu, his political military headquarters, at Kamakura. This is therefore considered to be the Kamakura period in Japanese history. The emperor remained in Kyoto, but he would have no significant power as Yoritomo would be granted the title of Seitai Shogun. We came across this title before during our episode on Heian Japan, when discussing the Japanese attitude to the barbarian Emishi in the north of Honshu. This is because the man entrusted with commanding military operations against the barbarians was called Seitai Shogun. Now, this title would be much more appropriately viewed upon as the national military dictator, but was also referred to by the shortened word Shogun. As Shogun, Yoritomo would effectively be ruling Japan. The Bakufu would have more influence over the imperial court. Japan during this period is often seen being referred to as a shogunate as a consequence. The status of samurai originally started out as a bureaucratic level of rank in the 8th century, but by now it had become quite a military role, with those in the samurai rank trained to become skilled swordsmen and often being called upon by those in a higher rank to resolve disputes. Warriors from this period are more accurately referred to as bushi, and with many samurai conducting themselves as bushi, the two terms samurai and bushi converged to become very similar. Yoritomo would make a concerted effort to enlist as many bushi as possible into his service. Many bushi would obtain positions of significant political power as a consequence. With Minamoto no Yoritomo being of the samurai class himself, this is also considered to be the time that Japan was under samurai rule. Samurai rule would bring a more rigid form of rule over the country. The bushi were now Yoritomo's effective policemen of the state, entrusted with the ability to resolve land disputes as the country's nature began to resemble that of feudal Europe, with local landlords being expected to contribute taxes to the central state. Despite the military aristocracy of the Minamoto samurai becoming the most powerful entity in Japan from their capital city in Kamakura, civil administration would continue to take place from Kyoto, with many wealthy families still able to enjoy the lifestyle that they had always been accustomed to. Although we often look at a later time in history to get the idea of a samurai warrior being a man of some level of class and distinction that operated within a moral code of conduct, it is certainly fair to say that the concept of such things existed during the Kamakura period. It is also interesting to note the similarities between feudal Europe 
and feudal Japan, so much so that the term feudal has been attributed to both sets of social structures. It is important to note that both feudal structures are not the same and evolved in complete independence from each other. With that in mind, it seems very interesting to compare the Japanese samurai and the European knight, both of whom were entrusted to exercise their expertise in battle while adhering to a widely understood code of conduct. Although we do not see firm written evidence of the code of conduct of a samurai warrior until a later time, we do find that codes of conduct are available for archers and cavalrymen. So the concept of the code of conduct evolved from the warrior aspect of the samurai warrior as opposed to the samurai aspect. It is important to note that there is little to suggest that morality was a large factor in these early codes. Initially, during the Kamakura period, there was an understanding between the military leaders in Kamakura. The samurai class who were responsible for the enforcement of law in Japan and the imperial court of Kyoto, the administrative rulers of the country. Over time, the balance of power began to grow stronger with the samurai of Kamakura and it would undermine the authority of the imperial court in Kyoto or, as we could pinpoint it, the authority of the shogun alongside that of the emperor. The Hojo Clan The first shogun, Minamoto no Yoritomo, was married to a woman whose name is unknown. Retrospectively, historians call her Masako, and she belonged to the Hojo clan. The Hojo clan had kept a low profile during the rebellions of the 12th century. It is suspected that the Hojo was an offshoot of the Gammu Heishi, the line of the Taira clan, who claim its descent from the Emperor Kammu. Despite their chosen low profile during the period of unrest, the Hojo clan would certainly be highly influential over lands in the east of Japan, near the samurai capital of Kamakura. Despite Masako's father, the head of the Hojo clan, Hojo Tokimasa, initially having reservations about her marriage to Minamoto no Yoritomo. As Yoritomo's worth began to increase, the Hojo clan would pledge their support to him and assisted him during the Genpei Wars. With Minamoto no Yoritomo coming out on top in the Genpei Wars and becoming entrusted with the title of Shogun by the Imperial Court, Hojo Tokimasa saw the standing of his clan elevating to new heights and it is suspected by some that he was harbouring some lofty ambitions. If he was, then his true intentions became clear after the death of Yoritomo in 1199. The position of Shogun would pass down to Yoritomo's son, Minamoto no Yoriye, who would also become the head of the Minamoto clan. Yoriye was the grandson of Hojo Tokimasa, as we know that Yoriye's mother was Masako, Tokimasa's daughter. Yoriye was only a young man when his father, Yoritomo, died, but Yoriye was already married 
and already had a son of his own. The son would be known as Minamoto no Ichiman, and his mother was the daughter of Hiki Yoshikazu of the Hiki clan, a descendant of the Fujiwara clan. This meant that both the Hojo clan and the Hiki clan would have strong connections to the shoguns of the Minamoto clan, and this put them in competition with each other in regards to their influence over the shogunate. Despite Yoriye being married and having a son, he was still deemed to be too young to have the overall power of shogun, as his father Yoritomo had done before him. Therefore, his grandfather Hojo Tokimasa would be declared as the regent of the shogunate. Despite Tokimasa being the regent, Yoriye would have a closer relationship with his father-in-law Hiki Yoshikazu, and this was a major concern for Tokimasa, who feared that the Hiki clan would encourage the new shogun to plot against the Hojo clan. Tokimasa took the decision to offer his support to the younger brother of Yoriye, another of Tokimasa's grandsons, Minamoto no Sanetemo. So the tensions between the Hojo and the Hiki were being played out through the two sons of Yoritomo, Yoriye and Sanetomo. Hojo Tokimasa would then take steps to create a council of elders who would exercise authority over the shogunate and reduce Minamoto no Yoriye to the role of a figurehead shogun. This was not a favourable outcome for the Hiki clan, who felt their own power and influence within the shogunate diminish as a consequence, and so the seeds were sown for a rebellion against Hojo Tokimasa. The young Minamoto no Yoriye was only 21 years of age when he became gravely ill. He would recommend that his brother Minamoto no Sanetomo and his infant son Minamoto no Ichimen be put forward as potential successors. Sanetomo was the favoured grandson of Hojo Tokimasa, while Ichiman was the grandson of Hiki Yoshikazu. The Hiki clan would put all of their energy into ensuring that the next shogun would be the infant Ichiman, believing that he was the legitimate successor as Yoriye's son. So tensions would become very high between the Hiki and the Hojo, and Tokimasa would invite Yoshikazu to attend peace talks in order to halt the Hiki rebellion. When Yoshikazu attended the meeting, it turned out to be a trap. Yoshikazu was assassinated by Hojo troops, and this instigated further aggressions from Tokimasa, where he would approve an attack on the palace of the infant son of the unwell Yoriye, namely Ichiman. Many important members of the Hiki clan were wiped out during this attack, and Ichiman, no more than five years old, was killed in the violence. This marked the end of the Hiki clan as any kind of viable threat to the Hojo's ambitions. In the following year, 1204, Ichiman's father, Yoriye, the sickly shogun, would be assassinated by Tokimasa, 
and his younger brother, Sanetomo, would become the new shogun. Sanetomo himself was just a child when he became the shogun, and Tokimasa was the one truly wielding the power in the Kamakura shogunate. Tokimasa had demonstrated a ruthlessness that concerned anyone close to him. If Tokimasa had any kind of concern about anybody with any kind of power, then he could very quickly turn against them and wouldn't think twice about arranging for their execution or assassination. If the child shogun, Sanetomo, outlasted his usefulness to Tokimasa, then it was altogether expected that his execution could be organised. This troubled Tokimasa's daughter, Masako, mother of Sanetomo, and relations between her and her father soured. Tokimasa's general behaviour as the regent, or Shiken as it is more accurately known in Japan, would also cause his own son, Masako's brother, Hojo Yoshitoki, to turn against him. Masako and Yoshitoki, sister and brother, would become allies against their own father, Tokimasa, and they forced Tokimasa to abdicate from his role as Shiken and retire to a monastery. Yoshitoki would become the new Shiken to the shogun Minamoto no Sanetomo. Sanetomo remained the shogun until his adulthood, until a fateful day came in the year 1219 when he was around 26 years old. The older brother of Sanetomo, Yorie, had had a son who had been given a position in priesthood and sent to Kyoto to take his vows. When he returned, he apparently had a vengeful feeling regarding the demise of his father and took his frustrations out on his uncle, Sanetomo. This son of Yorige is referred to as Kugyo, and he would behead his uncle, the shogun, Sanetomo, in revenge for the death of his own father, Yorige. Kugyo would claim himself to be the new shogun, but he would be executed later the same day for his crime. With the demise of Minamoto no Sonetomo came the demise of the Minamoto clan as any kind of major influence in Japanese politics ever again, and the clan would dwindle into relative insignificance. Masako and Yoshitoki would oversee the selection of a child called Gujo Yoritsune as the next figurehead shogun. Yoritsune belonged to the Kujo family, descended from the Fujiwara clan, and Yoritsune himself was a grandson of a woman who was the niece of Minamoto no Yoritomo, the first shogun. The political situation in Japan was reliant on there being a healthy working relationship between the imperial court in Kyoto and the shogunate in Kamakura but the imperial court was finding it difficult to make political manoeuvres with the shogunate blocking their intentions. The most powerful man in Kyoto was the cloistered emperor Gotoba, and he had become completely frustrated by the obstructive behaviour of the shogunate. 
So Gotoba decided to make some moves in order to flex his imperial muscles and discover exactly what the motivations of Eastern Japan truly were. He would reach out to the clans and provinces of Japan to demonstrate their loyalty to the imperial court. Gotoba would be expected to consult with the shogunate before making any major decisions and he stopped doing this. He would also take an aggressive attitude towards anybody showing more loyalty to the shogunate than to the imperial court. Gotoba's biggest move against the shogunate was to declare the shiken Hojo Yoshitoki an outlaw and so Yoshitoki decided that this was intolerable and started preparing for military action against the imperial court in Kyoto. The resulting conflict is called the Jokyu War. Yoshitoki would launch an attack on the imperial capital city of Kyoto and Gotoba would very quickly realise that the shogunate was far too powerful for the imperial forces to resist. The capital city was overrun and all of the cloistered insei associated to and including Gotoba himself were exiled, along with the current child emperor, Chukyo. Yoshitoki then placed his child nephew Gohorikawa on the chrysanthemum throne to rule as the new emperor and the imperial court was now very much subject to the will of the shogunate. In fact, the shogunate was a competent leader of the country. It may not have flaunted the grandeur of the imperial court and aristocracy of Kyoto, but still administered its sphere of influence, the lands of its vassals, with a good degree of proficiency. The Kamakura shogunate demonstrated a strong leaning towards the teachings of Buddhism. We have discussed the migration of Buddhism to Japan from China and how this happened during the early medieval period. We also explored how some of the early overzealous priests made a bid to become the emperor of all of Japan, which prompted a relocation of the capital city to avoid this problem. Despite all of this, the Japanese form of Mahayana Buddhism, which is often simply referred to as Zen, remained prosperous in Japan. Zen priests would operate closely with the samurai and the shogunate, and the samurai warriors would draw an understanding of their own spirituality as a Japanese warrior. This in turn would contribute to the spiritual mindset of the warriors and their understanding of their code of conduct which would include the betterment of the mind as well as all of the physical warrior training. Invasion. Throughout its long and fascinating history, Japan had never experienced a significant external invasion of its lands, something that seems quite remarkable considering the way of the world. It was probably a blessing that when one did happen, that it was a military shogunate who were effectively controlling the country. 
Back at the turn of the 13th century, a man called Temujin had become the ruler of a confederation of Mongol peoples in the steppe lands to the north of China and Korea. As the leader, he would be named Chinggis Khan. Chinggis Khan would begin a program of Mongol expansion and conquest that would make the Mongol Empire one of the most considerable empires in world history. Chinggis would not only expand into the lands of fellow steppeland occupants, but also southwards into the lands of the Chinese cultures. At the beginning of the 13th century, China was effectively split into north and south. The south was under the control of the Song dynasty, but the north had come under the control of the Jin dynasty. Mongol tribes had been used to paying tribute to the great Jin, but under Chinggis Khan, things were about to change. Despite the fact that Chinggis died during the protracted and extended Mongols' war with the great Jin, the Mongol Empire eventually prevailed, usurping all of the great Jin's lands and wiping them off the map. Following this, the Mongols would invade Song China and Korea, the nation-state on the Korean peninsula. The Mongol conquest of Korea was ultimately unsuccessful, but Song China was on its way to falling to the Mongols. The success of Korea in resisting the Mongols can be put largely down to the expertise of Korea in seafaring, something that the steppe-origin Mongols had never had to invest too much time and energy into. However, the aggressions of the Mongols and some of the twists of fate meant that the Korea effectively became an ally to the Mongols and so the Mongols could use Korea's naval resources to launch attacks on Song, China. With this sort of power, the leader of the Mongols, Kublai Khan, demanded that the country of Japan submit without a struggle. Japan refused to react in any way to these demands, repeatedly sending the envoys back to the Asian mainland during the beginning of the 1270s. When the Chinese city of Xiangyang fell to the Mongols, the Mongols had access to an important city on the Han River, which as a river served as a tributary to the Yangtze River, which flows into the East China Sea and the sea route to Japan. With the fall of the city, Kublai Khan could now think about punishing the Japanese for disrespecting his envoys, and he would now have Korean and Chinese fleet with which to construct a naval force. The combined naval force left the Korean peninsula and landed on the first small Japanese island of Tsushima, where the small population were massacred by the massive Mongol army. From Tsushima, the Mongols took control of the smaller Iki island, which would provide a close-range base to the Japanese mainland. With the islands now able to be used as a military base from which to conduct operations, the next target would be Hakata Bay off the island of Kyushu. The Japanese forces on what we might be able to call the main islands of Japan were under intense pressure 
from the aggressions of the Mongols, who were possibly using explosive weapons, likely a type of weapon never seen before by the Japanese. Night fell and the Japanese had taken a good hiding at Hakata. The Mongols retired back to their ships, while the Japanese retreated to the town of Dozaifu. Overnight, the winds rolled in harder and harder, and the Mongol fleet would need to be protected at all costs. The wily Japanese would see an opportunity and board their small vessels and approach the Mongol fleet undetected. At daybreak, the Mongols not only found their fleet to be scattered by the high winds, but also that the Japanese had also set fire to some of the Mongol fleet. The scene was absolute chaos, and it was clear that the Mongols would not be able to continue an attack that had otherwise been going so well. The Mongols retreated back to Korea, with reports of a large number of their army drowning in the open waters. The Japanese, including the emperor and the shogun, believed that the gods had played an important part in the protection of their country that day. As such, the typhoon that had occurred was called a shibpu, which is a Japanese phrase meaning divine wind something that would strengthen the Japanese faith in Zen Buddhism. The alternative reading of these characters that make up the word Shinpu is Kamikaze, which has become the more popular vocalisation today, not least of all because of the use of the word Kamikaze by Japan to describe their suicide attacking pilots during the Second World War. Kublai Khan then concentrated more effort on the conquest of China, but in the meantime he was still sending envoys to Japan. The Japanese realised that this was not the end of the Mongol invasions and set about building defences in preparation for war against the Mongols. The Japanese shogunate felt particularly bold, even murdering Kublai Khan's envoys. Whether or not all of the people in Japan thought that murdering Mongol envoys was a good idea, the invasion of the Mongols suddenly gave the people of Japan a common cause. Until now, Japan had always been plagued by internal bickering, whether it be the priesthood and the emperor, the Fujiwara and the imperial princes, the Minamoto and the Taira, or most relevantly, the shogunate and the imperial court. Now, the shogunate and the imperial court had a common enemy and needed to work together for the sake of the defence of Japan. Kublai Khan conquered Song, China, and then pulled the resources of China and Korea in order to create an invasion fleet, the likes of which had not been seen before. The British author John Mann, born in 1941, describes the size of the fleet as the largest ever assembled, and not surpassed in that respect until the D-Day invasion of Normandy 
over 750 years later in 1944. The Mongol fleet totaled almost 4,500 vessels. In response, the Japanese would assemble a huge fighting force based on samurai warriors and they would man the defensive walls that they had built in the period since the first Mongol attack. Kublai Khan may be underestimated Japan, as he referred to it as a small country. The fleet that he hastily constructed may have been very large, but it was unlikely to have been of a very high quality. The Japanese samurai would take to their small boats again, attempting to harass the Mongol fleet. The Mongol fleet were made up of Korean and Chinese troops, whose hearts may not have been fully into supporting their aggressive overlords. The persistence of the Mongols to unsuccessfully try to breach the Japanese defences must have eventually become demoralising. Then there was a breakthrough. Some of the Mongol fleet were able to successfully land their troops and now the Japanese samurai were in serious danger. So much time had been wasted for the Mongols trying to breach the Japanese wall that the winds were blowing up again and the Mongol army would have to board their ships to avoid being stranded on land and the ships were sailed out to sea to avoid being smashed against the coastal rocks. In the Battle of the Winds against the Mongol fleet, there was only one winner. Ships were destroyed, torn to bits, unable to stand up to the storm with their hastily constructed bodies. Thousands drowned. Those who managed to reach the shore were captured or slaughtered by the Japanese samurai as they attempted to scramble ashore. The second Mongol invasion of Japan was once again a disaster. The Mongols retreated once again, at least what remained of them, and the Japanese were left convinced about the divine intervention of the kamikaze. Repercussions The repulsion of the Mongols was an incredible achievement for Japan. A collective success for the shogunate and the imperial court, as well as the Buddhist priests who believed that their practices encouraged the kamikaze typhoons, and the samurai warriors, the men on the ground physically defending their territory. It was a glorious win. However, in defence, there are never any spoils of war or booty. You gain nothing in terms of land or wealth because you only retain what you had. When the Mongols were sent on their way in 1281, it was not known then whether they would return. So a standing samurai army would need to be ready to defend Japanese lands again in an instant. Not only would the samurai need to be paid for their services during the defence of their lands, but they would have to be paid to remain on standby. The priests would also be looking to take their share for their time and energy devoted to their religious practices in the field of battle. 
There were no shares of war, however. In a country that had not experienced an external invasion or warfare not on its own terms, the wealth just did not exist. Every part of the Japanese economy was strained. Landowners were not able to receive payments for their produce and as such, some would have to resort to banditry just to survive. The country was in a mess and the Bakfu, the office of the shogunate, was under intense pressure to answer to the people of Japan. Now that they were the supreme authority over the country, since defeating the imperial court in battle during the first half of the 13th century. As much as the Bakfu wrote off all of the debts owed by the samurai, there was still not enough money to sustain the population. So, there was now an opportunity for the imperial court to rise up against the shogunate, knowing that there was an air of discontent among the samurai and the population, that would surely provide support for their rebellion. The rebellion would be led by the Emperor of Japan, traditionally the 96th Emperor, called Godaigo, and the resulting conflict is called the Genko War. Initially, the rebellion was a disaster. The shogunate was ready for the rebellion and moved quickly to put it down, pinning Godaigo back into Kyoto, where he would be sent into exile, while the shogunate replaced him with their own puppet emperor. A couple of years later, in 1333, Godaigo was able to escape his captivity and raise another army, so the shogunate dispatched another force under the command of a descendant of the Minamoto clan called Ashikaga Takauji. Whether it was ill-advised to send a member of the Minamoto or not, is totally unknown. The Hojo had effectively taken control of the shogunate away from the Minamoto in the early years and the Minamoto had become a minority clan. What we do know is that Takauji's loyalties changed during the exchanges between him and the forces of the deposed Emperor Godaigo. Takauji would switch sides and join Godaigo's rebellion, maybe believing that Godaigo would allow him to take control of the shogunate. This may well have marked the changing direction of the war, as a rapid advance from west to east, from place to place, as Godaigo took control of the lands of the country, pushing the forces loyal to the Hojo clan further and further east. Ultimately, the shogunate forces were pinned back into Kamakura and so Godaigo would enter the city and set about destroying it. The leaders of the Hojo had lost the war and committed suicide as is tradition in Japan. The Kamakura shogunate had been overthrown and Godaigo quickly moved to establish the imperial court as the supreme authority in Japan. This is the period known as the Kenmu Restoration and what happened next will be a story for another episode. (music) 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the History of the World podcast on Kamakura, Japan. And uh, we will continue the story of Japan next time. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support this podcast, then visit our website, uh, historyoftheworldpodcast.com. Click on the Patreon link and sign up to make a monthly contribution. You will become a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati and you can qualify for gifts and rewards. Just go along to the website and find out what you can get your hands on. Now, if you would like to access some bonus material and you want to listen to the podcast ad-free, then do subscribe to the the, uh, podcast on Spotify. And if you want to get in touch with me here at the podcast, drop me a line at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. Well, that's your lot for this week. And uh, thank you so much for all of your time and uh, all of your patience while I write these episodes at the moment. And uh, next time we'll be talking about the next period in Japanese history. So until that time, until we meet again, thanks so much. And uh, don't forget, be good. The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Please consider making a financial contribution by going to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website and clicking on the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. And don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.